Welcome to the Inside Startup Investing Podcast, powered by King's Crowd. As always, I'm your host, Chris Lestrino. From discussions with founders and VCs to industry experts and special guests, we want to provide you with the inside scoop on all things startup investing. Whether you're investing $50 a deal or $500,000 a deal, we have the stories you need to hear before clicking invest. From the metaverse to spaceflight and beyond, join us as we explore the world of startup investing for all. And now, onto this week's episode. Hello, everyone. Today, we are joined by Jerry Hayes, founder of Doriot. Doriot is a really interesting startup focused on a very similar mission to what we care about here at King's Crowd. Jerry wants to teach everyone to become a startup investor, and he also happens to be a multi-time founder and a professor of venture capital and startups at Indiana University. So I could think of no better person to talk to about the fundamentals of becoming a startup investor and why everyone should become one. So with that, let's get into it. Jerry, thank you so much for joining us here today. Thanks, Chris. Glad to be here. So Jerry, just to get started, can you tell people a little bit about yourself? You have a really interesting background and how you came to found Doriot. Well, I started my career in government affairs and got a law degree, and then I threw it all into the wind to start my first company back in 1999, and I never looked back from entrepreneurship. Um, so I founded uh, four companies, um, and I've invested in 25 more, and I've done okay for, uh, for myself in that process. And now I've got sort of reached sort of uh, part of my career where, where I really wanted to give back. And, and, and in this space, I, I can't think of any greater give back than to teach others how to participate in the private markets as I've participated and I've, and I've excelled in. Um, and so um, when I started teaching venture capital at the IU Kelly School of Business back in 2004, I'm a big history buff. So I went back into the history of venture capital and the, the founder or the father of venture capital is a man named George Dorio. So he's uh, French. So there's the Doriat, there's the U.S. pronunciation and then there's the French pronunciation of Dorio. He was a Harvard professor teaching a co- company called or a class called Industry, which that was entrepreneurship before it was entrepreneurship. And he launched a uh, venture fund, the American Research and Development Corporation, and he basically paved the way for modern day venture capital. And he discovered the model that you're going to have to put, you know, 25, 30 bets on the table. And only you're only going to see a few of those companies really thrive and succeed and pay for all the losses. And he delivered from 1946 to 1971, a 22% uh, annual rate of return on invested capital, which set the benchmark for our venture capital today. Everyone's stri- striving for that 20 to 25% um, rate of return. And um, so I thought, well, if I'm going to try to bring venture capital, you know, be a part of the, the, the movement, like what King's Crowd is doing and, you know, other companies are doing, if I'm going to be a part of the movement, I couldn't think of a better name than George, to name it after George Dorio. So I got in contact with the, his distant relatives and because he didn't have any next of kin. I was able to get the domain name and the, and the trademark for it. And uh, so kind of an honor of what he did, you know, for the industry, you know, I'm hoping to be a part of the process for the masses to be able to participate um, individually. I love that story. And I, and I didn't realize that that was his name. I knew of his story um, and of that initial venture firm, but didn't realize that was his name. That's really, really interesting. Um, so, Love the platform that you've built. Let's get into it a little bit. You're essentially creating a a place that educates and empowers folks to become smart 
startup investors. Talk about some of the fundamentals that you've built into this platform and how it gets someone trained up on how to become a startup investor. Sure. I'm a big advocate for gaming and simulations to teach people uh, by doing as opposed to just learning in a classroom setting. And, um, and studies will show you that simulations do a much better job of transferring knowledge and understanding. So to me, um, what I've, I've found, um, and I've talked to uh, a lot of angel investors and they all have their stories or they've gotten their knees skinned up and some maybe lost an arm <laughs> or a leg <laughs> early on. Is this is that is that fundamentally, if you if if you're going to bring lots of people into this market, and when I'm thinking, I'm, I'm thinking 2030. I'm not thinking about today. Like, what would what would startup investing look like? You know, 10 years from now, you know, minimums coming down, people being able to aggregate syndicates in a quick way to jump into a deal, right? Maybe tokenize uh, those those syndicates, right? Um, it, it, you know, just movement of cap, free flow of capital with lots of uh, various participants. Um, the first thing is it's safety and risk, right? It's what we have to teach people not to be so googly eyes over a single deal that they put all their money into it. And, you know, they've got a 90% chance of failure on that. So what I did was, okay, if you're going to be a startup investor, you want to be a startup investor, let's put you in the position of being a startup investor. Um, in our case, we'll give you $500. And then we, I, I scoured through PitchBook and I found 50 companies that have went through the, the funding life cycle, right? So hmm. they're all somewhat relevant companies today, but you wouldn't know their names. We scrubbed their names, um, but it wouldn't be something obvious as Airbnb or Uber, right? Sure. So you kind of find those ones, a lot of B2B, you know, maybe some biotech and that kind of thing. And when we rebuilt that startup story from the very beginning of when their first angel investments happened. So we put investors in the position, okay, all right, here's a company. This is what they're going to do. And here's the market size. Here's a summary of the team. Here are the risks. Here's the valuation. Here are the signals like other people participating. You know, do you want to invest in this deal or not? And so you make a decision. You want to put some money in. If you pass, you pass. If you invest, then subsequent over time, there'll be press releases that say, hey, the <laughs> company is raising a series A round. You have pro rata rights. Do you want to jump into the deal again? Um, or the company has failed, announces a failure, right? And so as they build a portfolio, as a user builds a portfolio, you'll see that there's a lot of red on your portfolio, but then you'll find those few that hit. And, and so what it teaches people are what I call the five factors of financial sophistication. The number one factor for this is diversification. If you know hmm. anything about investing, if you understand diversification, then you're gonna be a winner in the markets, whether it's the public markets or the private markets. And diversification seems like a very easy concept, like oh, don't put all your eggs in one basket, but we are so conditioned and biased in our own decisions that we are blind in a lot of ways to an opportunity because like, oh, I would never do that. That I don't get that market. I would never set up an avatar in Decentraland. Of course, I'm not going to invest in that, right? And we have to let go of our biases in a way and say, okay, this looks really credible. Like take King's Crowd, for example, right? A very credible company, trailblazing in a new market. It's a huge market opportunity, right? You've got experience in the industry, right? Even if someone didn't understand King's Crowd, it's a credible deal. You put some money to work, right? And, and ideally, mm -hmm. you put that. You know, if you are budgeting, you put, you'll put an equivalent amount into multiple deals, right? And we don't know what King's Crowd future is going to be relative to you know the twenty five other deals that you would put money into. But sure. that's the safest bet to do, and that's what we train. I love what you're doing. 
um, because you're exactly right. And you hit on something, so I'm gonna, I'll, I'll go there a little bit. This idea of we all have our biases, and it's so true. I even early days when we were building Kingscraft in our rating algorithm, there were times where I look at deals that are being highly rated and I'd be like, mm, I'm not so sure. And then companies that weren't well rated where I'm like, wait a second, I love this company. I'm really into it. And I kept my mouth shut. And I said, I'll let our CIO work through their process. And you know, I'm trying to say, no, I believe this whole data-driven process can work. And I have to tell you now, you know, we're a few years into this thing and we're starting to see how the company's performing. And it is amazing how many times in my kind of like pseudo portfolio, I was wrong and how many times our data was right. If you remove the hype, if you remove your biases, what happens? And, you know, frankly, I, I have a thesis myself and I'd be curious to hear what you think. But, you know, I honestly, I do think it's one of the reasons why a lot of venture capital firms today don't do well is because they're so... They're almost 100% bias driven. Almost none of them use real data. <laughs> it's, it's unbelievable to me. I don't know. What are your thoughts on that? Well, let me, let me give you a scenario, uh, Chris. A real estate company that takes away real estate agents, that they've matched buyers and sellers together, and there's a centralized platform that handles the transaction, then the, the deal gets routed to a mortgage company, and then the deal gets routed to a, a, a settlement company. No commissions being paid. That's, the commissions have been taken out of the market. Company's doing $1.7 million in revenue uh, annually out of its second year in business. What do you think that company would be worth today in terms of evaluation? Oh, man. With the state of the world, I couldn't even tell you. I'd love to hear. <laughs> well, well, that was my first startup back in 1999, 2000. And I could not raise venture capital from Midwest VCs because everyone said I would never not use a real estate agent. <laughs> that's it. huh? So that's that's your that's. That's that's your summation of of this deal, right? Well, it's a Midwest. Right. Understand the internet, still new, right? Um, when the markets crashed in the early two thousand, that created more angst. But just this, it was just a gut decision, and I heard this over and over again from VCs. I'd never not use a real estate agent. Can't imagine how anyone would not use a real estate agent. But yet there it was. We were doing 55, 60 transactions a month. Became the tenth largest real estate company in Indianapolis, literally overnight. And, and the biases of VCs. And, and frankly, that sowed the seeds for me where it's like, okay, you know, I, I, I do believe there's got to be better ways. I think, you know, King's trailblazing uh, path, you know, for, to bring, you know, more people into this. It's still early, but, you know, I can't be happier to see what's happening where more and more participation is, is, is occurring from uh, just everyday people. And because I think it's, it is quite disruptive. It, it, it certainly is. And, you know, one of the stats, right, that we've tracked is even over a decade of, of the venture industry trying to reinvent itself and to invest more heavily into underrepresented founders like females and minorities that get overlooked time and time again, the funding is still about 2% of all funding goes to female and minority mm -hmm. founders. You look at this new market where you allow retail investors to partake. And overnight, this new industry that's born is supporting 35 to 40% of funding going to female and minority founders, these under and overlooked groups, whatever you want to call it. And it, it just, to me, screams this idea that if you fundamentally change the mechanism of where the LP base is and you make it look more like all of us, that could be very transformative for the technologies and the companies we create for a whole next generation what do you think about that? What's your feelings on that? Oh, I, I think the numbers are going to prove that we're going to see great performance from these startups. I mean, they're already showing data with women, female founders having actually providing higher alpha than 
than male counterparts, right? right? Um, and I, I think that um, the diversity that is happening uh, in the the, the Reich CF uh, arena, I think it's going to prove itself that that uh, the VCs are going to be fast followers. That we need mm -hmm. to be way more diverse in our portfolios, and um, it's it's just cool to see that the market is speaking and it's it's real. So let's talk about some of your goals. Uh, with the platform, what are you hoping to accomplish? Are you trying to create a whole new generation of new venture capitalists? Is it just a whole new generation of angel investors? What do you hope we get out of the platform? I believe, and I'd be curious what your thoughts are, that um, over the, we've seen a, a tremendous amount of change. So I've, so I, I've, I've seen more change than you. I'm probably a little bit older than you. Um, <laughs> um, I started out without email in, in college, right, to, to where we are today. So I've seen the, the pace of, of change that's happened, but I don't think it's going to be anything in comparison to what's about to happen, right? With machine learning, artificial intelligence, quantum computing, uh, I, I see every industry being completely transformed and I see trillions of dollars being made by new upstart companies that are changing industries and creating new ones. Everyone should be participating in this transformation. And it won't be just here in the United States, it's gonna be global, right? And, and the more that we can make those opportunities available, and, and I kind of think about this in the context that the stock market was really available to everyone in the 70s and the 80s, and you, didn't, you saw companies like Microsoft go out, you know, with a market cap of 350 million. Well, companies right. are coming out, Airbnb or Coinbase comes out at a market cap of 80 billion, right? Well, where mm -hmm. are the opportunities for the, the small investor to get into, you know, uh, a Coinbase that's 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 valued at below 250 million. There aren't really those opportunities, right? Mm -hmm. And for good reason, because the VCs want to sop up sop up that that return. And right. um, so there is kind of a conflict between VC and capital formation, where, where their money's coming is from is coming from institutions, right? Well, you could flip that around and say, well, what about if the LPs are essentially all a bunch of small investors that you could efficiently aggregate a ton of money together and be just as effective in a deal as a VC, right? And so I, I want to be on that side of training people and being a part of that revolution. Um, I didn't mention, and I know you know about this, but the accredited inv investor rule is the linchpin. Mm -hmm. Let's call it what it is, right? It's, a, it's an antiquated rule that was, it came out of the stock market crash of 1929, right? That the SEC made a determination, the courts made a determination that someone should have some level of sophistication in order to be, uh, you know, in order to approve, be approved as an investor. That got codified in a rule in the 1980s by the SEC saying, okay, well, we don't know what sophistication is, but what we do believe is that if you're a millionaire or if you're making $250,000 or more a year, you can afford to lose your money. Everyone else, you're not in the game, right? And they've held on to this rule for 40 years, only until recently that the, the pressure from Reg CF and, and just pressure from the, from the overall industry saying, we need to have other paths other than being a millionaire. So the SEC passed a rule two years ago that says, okay, well, almost three years ago now, that you can be approved as accredited if you can successfully demonstrate a level of sophistication 
and we'll accept anyone from outside to submit an exam or a course that would prove this. And so we submitted a 64 page application to the SEC to have our game simulation approved for sophistication and then sent them a white paper showing that it, that it meets the five factors of sophistication. And as a matter of fact, it actually is a higher um, hurdle to reach than just being rich by going through the game hmm. because it's 50 deals. You have to have patience for it. You're going to decide whether you want to do this or not. Right. Right. And if you don't want to do this, you're going to leave the app and you're done. But if you want to do this, by the time you get through it, you are going to uh, really understand this market. So to, to further that, we took a subset and we said, Hey, well, you want to be a part of a, a venture club and we're going, you know, let's just come together and let's all like, you know, decide on startup investing, you know, ideals. And we're only focusing on reg CF. And it, so we've been tracking the people who have passed the, 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 call it the exam, that they're now investing equal amounts in every company that we're, that we're talking about, staying true to the system that we've designed. And what the SEC wants to prevent is someone putting all of their life savings into one deal. We're right. creating sophisticated investing skills. But if we get approved by the SEC, I mean, it's transformative, Chris, right? I mean, it just, it opens up a whole new world. I hope nothing more than that you're all approved. And when you were accredited to your point, the whole rule is, well, you can afford to lose that money. And frankly, that's the behavior I see from accredited investors oftentimes is they're pretty carefree with the whole thing. Mm -hmm. They don't ask that many questions. It's what's the high level pitch? Do I like you? You know, and that, and that's it. It's the retail investor who will grind on you and ask you every question, you know, in every direction that they can to get at, they want to understand your financials and all this stuff, because why? Every dollar does matter to them. And by the way, we've seen that just generally, the retail investor is a lot more thoughtful about diversification than I often see from some of these bigger investors. On average, a person who utilizes King's Crowd has over 17 investments in their portfolio. These are not, you know, being careless, whatever, throwing their life savings at one thing. They're putting small sums in a bunch of deals and like being hard on those founders before they decide to make those investments. So I think there's something to be said when, when, when you don't have a lot and you're still trying to build, there's a carefulness that, that folks take. And I, I think it's because of the lack of liquidity. And you know, in crypto, it's, oh, I could become a millionaire overnight. In our world, everyone's very clear. You're locked up. You're probably going to lose it. All of these things. So people are pretty skeptical coming in. Um, so I love what you're building. I love that you're creating the tests. I absolutely think it will be a better test of true sophistication and capability that you go through that than anything. Yep. Um, so getting to that test, let's talk about, have you seen any sort of interesting behaviors or things from people like that surprised you about investor behavior from what you're seeing people do on the platform, utilizing this essentially fantasy investing startup app? Yeah, I think the one that's most telling to us is um, and you know what, actually this proves our point to the SEC is that let's just say we'll, we'll get 10 people to download the app. We'll get seven people to make an investment. We'll get four making four investments and we'll get one or two that actually take it all the way to the end, which basically is like those people deserve to be approved as sophisticated. That's they're committed. Superior. They're committed. They understand the game and they're committed. Right. So it's not like we're just giving some multiple choice exam and we're just it's willy nilly. No, it's they're being grinded through a process 
that many are just like, ah, this isn't for me and I don't want to do it, which is cool, right? It's completely no fine, problem. right? There's 25 million people out there that should take the exam. And if we yield two, two million, three million that are approved as accredited, that's a huge, you know, inflow of capital and um, opportunity for everyone. And isn't there, you know, a reality, right, where just a lot of younger folks who, by the way, will probably be better at identifying the new trend lines of what's coming up tend to not have a lot of money. It it has nothing to do with sophistication or thoughtfulness. I mean, I worked at a, you know, a management consulting firm where we did private equity diligence day in and day out. I would spend 400 hours looking at a deal and I still couldn't invest. I mean, you want to talk about like craziness. You know, I probably spent more time with it than the private equity associate did. Yeah. Um, So it's just... I no, I, I think that is so so important. Having been a founder, having been an investor, from your perspective, which one of those jobs is more fun? <laughs> That's really an interesting question. I've been blessed because teaching at the I teach venture capital at the IU Kelly School of Business. We get some very incredibly, you know, strong talent that comes through my classroom. And sure. it's fun when I get the first phone call when someone's deciding that, hey, I've been out of the work world. I mean, I've been in the, the corporate world for a couple of years. I'm ready to start my own company, you know, and uh, I get that phone call and like, OK, and getting the opportunity to invest and help them kind of think about things from the very beginning. That's super fun. That's like that that, that space that I really enjoy. But I'm addicted to being a founder. <laughs> I always have to be doing something right. I have to be evangelizing and and pushing something and something that I feel strongly about. And this is certainly one of those. And as you know, this is not an easy road, trailblazing in a new market. And there's a lot of no's out there and a lot of uh, light switches that, you know, lights, you know, lights that need to be turned on. Um, so this is a, this is a marathon, not a sprint. And that's the same thing I would say for anyone who wants to be an investor. It's a marathon, not a sprint. Invest in a process, stay true to our process. You'll get, you'll get, you'll get your payback. For each person who's thinking about getting started, becoming an angel investor um, from everything that you've created with, within your platform, what do you think is you know, one or two of the key fundamentals people need to understand as they're getting into this game and becoming an angel investor? Well, I think the, the, the first thing is, we talked about it earlier, is, is not letting your biases get in the way of things, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, focus, on being, if, focus on those things that make it a credible startup. Right. So, for example, like if you came from the life sciences business or something, right, you know, I mean, it's okay. Are you really set up to do what you're doing? Right. But you came from the financial industry. So checkmark. Boom. Right. Is this a growing market? You have that cadence, right, that you're looking for credible startups. That's the first thing. Right. Let go of your emotional biases and look for the cadence and what's credible. The second piece is patience, which I know is very hard today that people don't want to display. But. Wealth building is a, it's a multi-decade process. It's not a get rich quick scheme. I think a lot of people who thought they were going to get that with crypto and the meme stocks, you know, a couple of years ago, they're learning very quickly that, you know, only a few get there, everyone else is basically, they lose their money. So, and that's the cool thing about startup investing. The, 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 the deals are hidden from the market. You don't, you don't see the upflows sure. of, of everyday life, right? You, you kind of have mm-hmm. to wait these things out, so you're not emotionally living that roller coaster. Um, so patience and doing multiple yeah. deals, yeah. <laughs> because the, the word startup is there, people think of you know move fast, move fast, move fast. But like most of it is actually like moving slow and being patient. 
because the world doesn't move quite as fast as you want it to in your building of whatever startup you may have. So internally, you might move quick, but the world is only going to move at the pace it wants to move that, and you have to move with that. Um, so it, it is. That is a very uh, tried and true principle, this whole thing, is being patient. Um, for those who want to get started, utilize your platform what is the best way for them to get started and start learning how to become an angel investor? Sure. You can just uh, go to Dorio.com, D-O-R-I-O-T, or you can type in fantasy startup in Google and um, the app will pop up. You know, join the coalition. We need lots of people um, to get behind at least one path to open up this accredited investor rule. So the more that we can get um, users certified and they want to be a part of this and join that coalition, um, it's, it could be game changing for everyone. Um, so the, the more, the merrier. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. We love having more tools in the market to get people educated, to get you practicing. I know I've heard from some investors who even listen to this podcast who have said, you know, I'm excited about this, but I don't have any money I'm willing to lose. And that's okay. That's a good place to start. That's honestly a thoughtful place to start. And if that's the case, then play the fantasy game yeah. where you're going to learn how to be a startup investor. You're going to get to take a shot at doing it and you could start to see, okay, I have the thoughtfulness and I have the approach to be able to do this in a way that long-term can make me money. Yeah. Um, but this is a way to do it without having to put up any at-risk capital and really learn the process. And I couldn't agree more teaching people how to have that sophistication so we could push forward these accredited rules and get more people to be accredited because of their actual intelligence and capability, um, I think is wonderful. So thank you so much, Jerry, for what you're building. Really appreciate it. And as, as we mentioned, Dorio.com, you could check it out and uh, start learning how to become an angel investor today. Jerry, thank you so much for your time today. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thanks, Chris. Thank you so much for listening to another episode of Inside Startup Investing. Before you go, if you enjoyed the show, please give us a like or a positive review on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And be sure to like and share our latest episodes. And if you like what you heard and want to learn more about how we can help you manage your startup investing search, diligence, and management at Kingscrowd, check us out at kingscrowd.com. Thanks, and until next time, happy investing.